Well, hello. Welcome to Theologizing Life, where we talk about how what we think about God shapes the lives we live. I'm Anthony, and uh, my co-host, Matthew Tracy, is with us. Hello, everyone. Uh, the one and only, who I've been calling Professor Matt Tracy. Uh, but as we shared on our last episode, he's going to be pursuing his PhD. So in, the, in about seven years, uh, we'll be introducing him as Dr. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know. How long is it going to take you? Uh, if I'm four. lucky, four and a half to five years. But All right. In about five years, we'll be uh, introducing him as I mean, Dr. Matt or right. Matt Tracy, PhD. I like the second one. Matt Tracy, PhD. Comma, PhD. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I want to tell people about it unless I teach. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to complain like, about something. Doctor, it's Dr. Tracy to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, we also have a guest with us. I'll introduce her or let her introduce herself briefly. And then I'm going to complain about something. But we have a guest today. Uh, this Good is Sam. Time. Thanks. My name's Sam. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm going to ask you to tell us more about yourself in a, in a moment, but um, I'm going to complain about something. Our last episode, we did live from Orlando, Florida, and it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. The sun was setting. It was warm. <sighs> We're back in Indiana, and it's March 20th, and it's it's freezing, and it's been snowy, and it's just gross outside, and I would like to be recording back in Florida. I mean, I it's like sunny out today. It's sunny. I got the windows open in my other room. It's, oh, wow. it's not as nice as it looks. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sunny out, but it is not warm. But anyways, I'm done complaining. I, I miss the palm trees and the sunshine. But anyways, we are not live. Welcome to our podcast, everyone. Start <laughs> we over. started off on a our internationally day. recognized podcast. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Sam, we on our uh, dashboard. Listeners. Yeah, we have a few listeners from out of the country. Internationally um, recognized. They probably don't like us, but they recognize us. They acknowledge <laughs> that we exist. <laughs> uh, well, anyways, Sam, you've actually been a guest before, and it's been a while. I actually should have looked back at how long it's been, but you've been a guest before. Um, but you know, just in case people haven't listened that far back, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are? And then for those who did listen to that one, you've actually had some life updates since then, some pretty significant life updates. So tell us a little bit about who you are and where you find yourself in this season of life. Yeah, I actually did look back. I was on June, 2021, which is crazy uh, how long it's wow, been. That was a long that was a long time Congrats ago. That's on like two and a half years of doing the podcast as well. That's yeah. fantastic. That was before I was here. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I had a four-month-old. Uh, she is now two. And I have an almost wow. six-month-old as well. So at the time, and the last time I was on the show, um, I was in the middle of a seminary program. And so I have since, well, and I was also somewhere near completing a two-year residency at the church. And so about me, I'm I'm a wife, a mother of two. I'm a pastor. I've now completed that seminary program. Um, more importantly, though, I'm a disciple of Jesus trying to figure out this, you know, how to look more like Christ every day in the middle of life and the pressures of motherhood and ministry and, and all of that. So that's a sort of an update synopsis of who Sam is. So I don't know about you, uh, Sam and I, Sam's pastor in the Wesleyan church. I went to Indiana Wesleyan and the same seminary Sam went to, and uh, I'm in a different mm -hmm. movement now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but similar roots with like holiness background. You talk about sanctification, which this, we're not going to talk about this podcast, but it's the idea that like we can be more and more uh, conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, or another way to put it where I would say like the fruit that the spirit gives birth in our lives becomes more characteristic of our lives before, uh, before having kids, I thought I was, you know, progressing in my journey of following Jesus, you know, steadily. Right. Mm -hmm. Sam, uh, I don't know about you uh, and Matt, like, uh, you didn't have the, the Wesleyan, um, 
I, I would say language about holiness and stuff that Sam and I uh, probably underwent in school, but like, I am not holy. I'm not even, I don't even, I, I feel like I'm not progressing. I'm like regressing in the looking like Jesus sometimes when it comes to parenting. I kind of found it was like, kind of like marriage. Like I didn't know all the bad habits that I had until I got married. And then they started affecting someone else. And mm -hmm. then, and then it was like, oh, I have to work on this. And then when you have kids, it just exposes a whole new set of bad habits that you have that you need to work on so i'm i'm well within the process of doing that too um i have a three-year-old so she exposes new bad habits that i have pretty much all the time because she's a three-nager but that's <laughs> my experience yeah i think it's all just magnified you know you think I was just talking to my husband last night. Like, I'm not an angry person, but there's something about getting woke <laughs> up at 3 a.m. that makes me an angry person. And I just, I don't want to show up that way. Um, but I didn't know that was a problem when I could sleep on my own, you know? So it just, it mm -hmm. just magnifies and intensifies some of those moments where, yeah, you just didn't know that part of you was there. You don't love it. And you got to work through it, but all part it's of the even, process. It's even better when they do stuff to anger you. Like they know that it's going to push your buttons. And so they just look you right in the eyes and do it. That's uh, a special moment. <laughs> Sam, it's so funny. You said you were talking to your husband, her husband's Derek uh, last night about, I'm not an angry person. I had a similar comment. Like I didn't, I said to Emily, I was like, I did not think of myself as having a temper. Like before having kids, but now the intensity sometimes of how frustrated I am is just, uh, and like, I even try to self-regulate. Like I try to take deep breaths, y'all. Like I try to like step out of the room, like get composure. But sometimes I'm just like, I need to, actually, I'm going to, I'll confess this confess. We should just call this the confessional podcast. <laughs> I've actually um, in the car or just like, I've, I've like rolled down the window and just let out a scream like literally just went ah! <laughs> off the window <laughs> it's like it's cathartic i'm not yeah. sure if it's becoming but it's cathartic but anyways well sam thank you for sharing I just uh, imagine yeah. like the old lady in the car next to you like <laughs> <laughs> as you scream in her face <laughs> what did i do <laughs> you try it uh, I already know the answer to this question since I go to the church that you pastor at, but uh, can you describe your role uh, at the church that you work at? You don't need to name drop if you don't want to, but uh, just kind of what you do, what your responsibilities are. Sure. Uh, by title, my role is executive pastor. And so at least in our context, that means I'm staff coach for our team, whoever, you know, the other individuals on staff with the exception of the lead pastor, um, and then oversee life groups and serve teams, uh, including some more directed focus with our next gen team. So I recently started leading them more directly, the birth through sixth grade. So I, I was relatively prepared for this, describe your role. And it's kind of a tough one. And I, so I went back to an, an analogy that, that we've used, um, the lead pastor and I, if we're standing on the rooftop, of the church and sort of looking out, I'm the one looking down at the the day-to-day, -day, the systems of the church, the, you know, maintaining what we do. And he's looking out at the community, at the the vision, so to think, so to speak, of where we're going. So it's my it's my job to make some of that vision possible um, by again, sort of maintaining what we do and who we are while we're trying to take new ground and move forward, kind of thing. Which, from what I know of you, you're pretty um, gifted, skilled, um, equipped for that sort of like systems and, and logistical administrative part of things. Um, Hopefully, because <laughs> it does, it's part of the, the requirement. I also didn't mention this in the sort of about me section, but I started my career in um, in business. I started at General Motors working in manufacturing environment and I have a the business background that that maybe lends itself to 
helping with some of those things. So. Yeah, it's amazing how, um, so sometimes people talk about like you go into ministry and taking a business like minor as like a backup because ministry, you won't make as much money. And I think that's a poor reason to, um, that's a poor reason to study uh, business. Like, because if it's like, I'm not sure God's going to provide for me, but a good reason is because a church is an organization. Um, even there's a Hispanic church that's meeting in our youth room and uh, it's new, it's a church plant and it's really, you know, kind of grassroots, but like uh, they're already facing the reality that like there needs to be some level of systems in place and procedures. And once you have any level of system or procedure, it becomes kind of an institution or an organization. And yeah, business stuff is helpful for that. If there's any ministers who listen to this, a really good book that I read that was helpful was called The Church Leaders MBA by Mark Smith and David Wright. Um, that was a really good book. But anyways, uh, rabbit trail. Okay, I did um, read that one as well. And it's a lot cheaper than an MBA itself. So I would also recommend it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you're a pastor. And um, I'm going to state the obvious here. You're you're a, a woman um, leader, a, a woman pastor. Um, could you just tell us a little bit? Uh, how do you feel your experience as a woman in ministry differs from that of a man's? Like how how does yeah your unique personal experience and story bring something to the table and to, to the perspective that's different? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I only have the one perspective as, as a female, so it's, it can be hard to, you know, compare how that might differ, but nonetheless, kind of looking, looking around and having grown up a pastor's kid as well, and seeing some of that experience for me, I think a lot of the, the difference has more to do with my role at home you know, who I am outside of my, my role as pastor, wife, mom, and what those perspectives, um, add and at the same time, sometimes take away from, um, just, you know, what I'm doing as a, as a female pastor. So, and I think women who work outside the home in general are going to experience some of that. And then mothers, even in a more specific way that there's a, there's a different experience, no matter where we work. Um, and, the perspectives that we bring. Um, I don't mean that, you know, stereotypically, I just, there, there are some differences. Um, and generally speaking, there are different roles in, in the house that, that affect, you know, who you are in, in a work environment. So I think that's one aspect of it. And then just the very obvious as a female pastor, hopefully I'm in a position to minister more directly and effectively to other women, you know, that doesn't, doesn't mean I can't be, um, an effective pastor to men. And that's, I'm sure part of the conversation here today, but I think it just, it just opens the door for me to have those conversations and, um, to know the experience of other women and, and mothers in the church and to, to be a pastor in that light. I think, um, I think that's really important the being able to minister to women and I've wrestled with like what that looks like for me to to minister like and I think um this this would be another podcast discussion probably but I I talked to a pastor and uh he's not as rigid about the like um some of his boundaries I guess uh, he has them, but he's not as rigid. Like he still wants to see his role as being able to minister to men and women. And, but there's still limitations. And so I think the ways we can minister to, uh, the ways I can specifically minister to men and you specifically to women are unique. Um, the other thing is, yeah, there's just parts of, of your perspective and story as like a mother or a wife um, it's just, it, it is interesting. I listen to, to men speakers even, and sometimes the illustrations used are very, uh, relatable to, to men, um, sports illustrations, 
hunting illustrations, just competition driven and you're athletic. So there's some women who are athletic and stuff, but there's just, there's sometimes a side of, I, I feel like uh, the human experience that can be missed out on. And uh, when we only have like one perspective, like even like this year, I'm actually trying, I realize like most of the nonfiction, like theology driven authors I read are men. Um, so I've made it a goal to read more diversely this year. And um, so I'm, I'm reading, trying to read authors uh, from different ethnicities and female authors. Um, so anyways, I just think that's really important to have, uh, yeah, the female representation in our communities we call churches. Yeah, I, I remember um, when we were at Exponential, we went to that breakout session that was led by, yeah. this, there were um, small groups pastors, uh, two women, and they opened by telling a story about like a, a very, like, I won't go into the, you know, the details, but they, they were talking about, a, they told a story that was very relatable to, to the women in the room. There was mostly women in the room. And uh, they were all like laughing and like chiming in and like making comments. And I remember like kind of turning to Anthony, like, I feel kind of weird right now. Like we didn't relate to the story at all. It was like, I really didn't know anything like what they were talking about. Um, and I kind of, I was like, you know, we were kind of talking afterwards. Like, I, I wonder how many times we do that in our churches, like tell a story that it has nothing to do with anything that, you know, women might relate to. And that's okay. Just, it's just good to have the other side as well for those moments to happen, yeah. you know, like you experience. So the like last you said, thing like we only have one perspective. So like, we just kind of yeah. need to be aware of that, you know? Yeah. 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 One of the things we had uh, a missions focus yesterday and there are these missionaries, they are um, missionaries in Spain, but they specifically minister to Muslim and Arab immigrants who have uh immigrated to barcelona and their ministry seems to thrive by connecting with some of the, the women and the women sometimes uh they build a bridge and opening to jesus through their ministries like providing these communities and small groups and safe spaces for these women and they experience the love from these christians um uh and and that sometimes is like the doorway to them being open to Jesus and the gospel and all this stuff. And there's other hurdles and things, but um, one of the things that was interesting is they started a women's study based off the different experiences of some of the women in the Bible. And it was just like, as they were talking about the study they developed and how, especially sort of culturally, like the Eastern culture and how, you know, the Bible is, uh, came out of an Eastern culture. Like, even though there's thousands of years separating them and historically like there's still similar experiences that these women can relate to like um uh, to hagar they can relate to and they built a bible study based on some of the women in scripture and it's like like i said right now i'm struggling to like bring all of it up because i've not really zeroed in on it but it's something they've zeroed in on and they've brought out of the scriptures all these things that these women uh, today can relate to so closely and it's like that's really um that's really needed and it's something that i think i've just had a, a blind spot to but i think there's yeah there's value in that perspective i guess is the point of of what i'm saying and how it can connect with women where they are we're going to kind of turn a corner and this is this is maybe the more the more hairy part of the discussion um but it's something you've lived actually uh there's there's some disagreement uh within i would say the larger church community surrounding the role of women in ministry um could you maybe paint a picture a little bit explain the differing perspectives as best you can um, and give us like an overview of the theological dilemma or the theological differences and disagreement and um you know being careful not to throw stones at any one side necessarily just sort of like here's the Here's the conversation. I will do my best. Uh, the way I understand it, these are like poles on the spectrum. So if you if you're looking at a spectrum, on one end there's 
the terminology is egalitarian and the other end is complementarian. So first of all, where these poles agree, and I, I've lost this even in thinking or sort of studying it previously, but where they agree is really important. Men and women are equal in worth. That's not part of the conversation. That's not um, part of the argument, male and female created in the image of God. So they're equal in worth. Where they differ, the egalitarian camp would say that men and women are equal in their role capabilities as well. So there are no gender restrictions uh, for men and women in the church, in the home, in society. So men and women can hold church leadership positions. Spouses are equally responsible for the family. Marriage is a partnership between two equals. And then on the other side, complementarian, uh, that camp would say that they are separate but equal roles in marriage, family, church, society, etc. And so therefore only men should hold church leadership positions. And there's some, there's some difference uh, even within the camp of what that means, leadership positions. And sometimes it's just specifically over men. You know, just kind of depends on, on who you're talking to. And then father, husband, head of the household is an, another key piece of what's going on there. So I think the theological dilemma here, to use uh, your terminology, these words are not biblical. So that's part of the, that's part of the dilemma. These are, you're not gonna find a verse that says one or the other, just like most things in theology, we've we've studied, we've examined and come up with these terms to better have conversations with one another. So they're theological terms uh, assigned to a combination of beliefs uh, based on multiple passages of scripture and then their corresponding context. So those are the labels in the conversation. And again, it's a spectrum. So <laughs> For example, someone might assume or label me an egalitarian because of my title in the church, but that doesn't mean I'm vying for a position against my husband in our household. So I think we have to be really careful with those labels, but those are the theological terms, uh, the way I understand them. It's really helpful to think of it as a spectrum too. Um, yeah. I. Uh, I'm going to lay a little bit of my cards on the table before Matt, you can ask the next question. But one of the things um, I grew up and I went to a, a Christian school that was uh, independent fundamental and that wasn't the church our family went to, but um, my church experience and my home experience was different, but I had Bible class every day uh, from first grade through 12th grade. And so um, that inevitably shaped a bit of my theology. And I was very much taught a very strong complementarian um, view. And um, to the degree that I think, so here's a couple of things that have shaped my perspective where I am now. I'm not going to make a, like a, a big case. I just want to highlight a couple of things that I think are important. Um, one of the things I saw was there was, uh, it, it, men almost got immunity uh, the way it was taught, they were the head of the house and women just and children needed to submit. Um, now, if the husband father was had a temper, was angry, borderline abusive within the home, um, the kind of responsibility or weight of responsibility uh, was implicitly sometimes I think, or explicitly, but more probably just implicitly placed on the women uh, to be, even for the children, because she was to like, you know, be a Proverbs 31 woman and make sure the children behaved. And everyone was like to treat the man, the husband as like a king. And uh, so the weight of his temper or his issues was sometimes like the issue was her lack of submissiveness, not his lack of fruit of the spirit. <laughs> um, that was one thing I, I saw that I think uh, there needs that, that concerned me. And then the other thing that I, I would say I lean more towards one end of the spectrum, which by what I'm saying is probably obvious, but, um, I realized I had 
these rather immature ego, pride, competitive driven ideas that I, about women that I cloaked in this biblical terminology. And uh, I realized it was really just, I call it man pride uh, that, that men sometimes have um, or that I had, I guess. And so I went on a journey trying to like, I guess, um, dealing with those ego pride driven ideologies. And in the process, some of my theological frameworks evolved too. And I'll just say it that way. Um, so that's within me Ra raising the question of like, uh, is this, is this biblical or is this me reacting towards women out of some place of, of pride and some need for value in my like masculinity or something. And that was part of my, I don't know, that's part of how I came to where I am today. One of the things that gets lost in the debate uh, is that there are, I mean, there are people who are just trying their best to uphold scripture and, you know, the role of the church and everything like that. But like if you if your theology causes you to treat someone lesser than yourself or you know grapple for power over other people then you need to check your theology and i think there are a lot of people kind of on the public stage even that uh, as far as pastors and theologians go that have kind of lost that perspective i think and i think that goes both like the thing about that admonition that you should not is sort of that can go both ways like on the egalitarian, if it gets sort of um, on either end of the spectrum, if women or men are grasping after power for ego or pride or value or identity-driven reasons, and then it's causing you, as Jesus said, to lord it over those who are under you, whether you're a woman lording it over men or a man lording it over women, Jesus said to his disciples, like, this is not, not so with you. Whoever would be first needs to be last. Like, you need to have a a serving mentality where even if you are in a leader role, your 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 leadership role is to lift those people up under you. And um, anytime that we lose sight of that, like, yeah, I think we need to go back to the drawing board on our theology. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess I think we may get to this a little bit. So I, I was debating whether to jump or not, but I think part of the difficulty here too is there are similar arguments, debates, so to speak, in culture, in society that do not care of, about the biblical perspective. And we as Christians can get swept into that and have that be the, the leading discussion instead of basing it on letting our theology and, and the way we're interpreting scripture be the lens for that other conversation. So does that make sense? I just, I think some of this gets wrapped up in, in what else is going on instead of allowing this to be the lens that helps us see society and, and culture in those conversations for what they are and to speak yeah. into them. So I, I think that's part of what makes it hard. It's just, everything's kind of intertwined. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We've kind of made that analogy before with like, you know, if you're, um, an American, you might look at the world as, you know, a white Westerner uh, who has a lot of money and power on the world stage. Uh, and then you kind of force that perspective onto scripture where I think what I heard you say is kind of you start with scripture and you use that as your outlook uh, to the, you know, to the rest of the world. We know what the like the Bible says what it says, but the debate so the debate isn't really over what it says, uh, but kind of what it means, and um, we'll drop the the big theological term hermeneutics, which is kind of um, lenses approaches to interpreting scripture. What are some of the hermeneutical lenses uh, that serve as principles that help you interpret scripture? Great question. It really just ties in. So yeah. Um, 
So one of the things that I always try to remember is that scripture was written for us, but not to us. And so there is an original audience, there is an original intention, and therefore an original meaning. Now, I do not mean to say that the meaning is necessarily different. It's just for, we. I think we have to remember that we are not the original audience. God knew that we would read it. Uh, it. It is for us, but it was not originally to us. And so the the term, the location of meaning is in that the author's intended message. And so I try to remember that. That's often embedded in the culture and society of the time, which can be hard for us to uncover. That's part of that's part of the difficulty for sure, because women in as it relates to this conversation, women in in biblical times had very different roles and rights, so to speak, or lack thereof, than what we in our culture and context think is right. Um, and so that some of that's hard to to uncover um, how the message is embedded in that that culture and society. But so that's one of the things I try to remember. Scripture was written for us, but not to us. I also always want scripture to interpret scripture because it is that final authority. That's uh, that's a hard thing. But but basically, I don't want to let one verse or passage contradict the story as a whole or be taken out of. Uh, the context, the the overarching narrative. So if there's a question, I want to see it the the full story as much as I can of of scripture and and God's redemptive plan in scripture. I think genre is another important piece, like which what passage you're looking at, what book is it in? Is it in again, this one, it, it's fairly clear um, most of for, for this conversation. But you know, if you're reading Proverbs, that's different than if you're reading the Gospels. Um, so I, genre is important. That's another thing I look at. And then I always try to ask two questions if I'm just uh, reading to to understand and to um, to be impacted or to allow scripture to read me. So the first question, what was the original author trying to say to the original audience, which I've kind of already mentioned? And then the second question is, what is God saying to us here and now through the writings of scripture? Those are like the most basic of <laughs> reading reading a passage, reading scripture, and, you know, trying to, um, to learn from it and to, to allow it to, to speak to you. So that was a lot, but that's kind of the, some basic principles for, for the way I would go about interpreting scripture. Yeah, I think that's really great. I like scripture, uh, you know, I encountered that and it's a principle I try to uh, keep in mind as well that scripture is written for us, but not to us. One of the things I also try to remember or keep in mind is scripture is written at a very different culture in a very different historical context and in a different language. And I came across an article today. I didn't understand most of it because they started using a lot of uh, like scientific language for the brain. But basically the article is about how they're discovering because of like all these like uh mri or different brain scan imaging things they can do now with technology that language our native language sort of shapes essentially it's my understanding was our language shapes how our brains uh, uh develop and then that affects how we sort of see the world or engage the world like our native language like so as an english speaker our brains process and think differently than someone who grew up speaking chinese like the the language itself that we were brought up in has a role in shaping the physiological composition of our brains which that's fascinating so like paul not only historically culturally thought and, and linguistically thought different but all of that shaped his cognitive framework um, and, and how he understood the world. And so like, I don't know, that's fascinating to me, but that's so the, probably different. The tricky thing is there. So we've had this conversation before uh, off the record, but um, at what point is 
scripture, like if you're talking about Paul's writings and how his cultural context shaped his mindset, his language, how he viewed the world, like at what point does his personal preference end and inspired scripture begin? You know, like if Paul's shopping list were, you know, in the Bible, like uh, versus, you know, Paul's presentation of the gospel, like that there's like that tension between the human and the spiritual elements of his letters. And I think part of the, the challenge is kind of parsing those and figuring out, okay, is this just Paul's personal preference? Uh, a suggestion, a, uh, a suggestion that's rooted in a very specific context. That's not necessarily universal or, you know, is this for the church? Well, and I think that's the part of that is the role of um, I, I've come across some like, rabbinical Jewish um, uh, writings or things. And it seems there's more comfortable that, that they were more comfortable wrestling with the text and sitting in the mystery of the text and even more comfortable sort of interrogating the text, like asking questions of the text than uh, we Westerners seem to be. And that uh, the the transcendence of the mystery was maybe um, acknowledged as that. Like there is a transcendent reality of the inspiration and mystery here. And um, whereas I, I grew up in the church film, like you could just open it up to any page and read it. And, you know, it's in translated in plain English. So you should be able to walk away knowing exactly what it means. And I think I don't know, maybe that's actually a lazy way to engage the text. Sam, so I guess this does kind of lead into the next question. You are a pastor in ministry. So you've landed at least on some, you've made peace with some of these things that are debated theologically. So like, how how do you make sense? And, and how have you made peace with the scriptures that seem um, that some would say pro prohibit women in ministry? So some of my answer is a very specific like weekend, a very specific time in my life. Um, and then before I before I get there, some of my answer is sort of walking through what I just talked about. So if those things are the the uh, lenses I use to interpret scripture to look at it, then then context is is part of how I've made peace with it, how I've made sense with it, um, doing some of that reset research. And so as far as, as far as I can determine if those passages, uh, the ones that are typically thrown out, um, you know, pointed to as prohibiting women in ministry, if those passages are interpreted literally, then I have some questions. Um, should women also never braid their hair, for example, um, it's in the same, same section, more seriously, are women saved through childbirth? Because that's what it says. But that's not what Paul meant. It can't be. We know that that's that that in other places, Paul was very clear that that salvation is by grace through faith. And so, um, I I joke a little bit, but if if we interpret those literally the way they're they're written in English, then we have some problems to wrestle with. And so that's. That's where I've made sense of it. I'm not, even if you, if you go back to June, 2021 uh, on the podcast, I'm not one who's going to just throw out a, a passage and say, I don't agree with this. That's not what I'm trying to do here. But I think there's some, again, there's some pretty clear questions. Even Paul or even Peter said, I don't always understand Paul. So um, we have to look at the context, the scripture as a whole. And so, for example, Paul, the same guy who is often the one um, pointed to as prohibiting women in ministry. He he said in Galatians that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male and female, for all are one in Christ. So he he didn't question at least the the equality, the value of male and female in Christ. Um, so that's one of the things that context, that research of trying to look at the passage that's being pointed to, and I I didn't even. Right. It's in First Corinthians. I can't think of the exact passage uh, where it talks about women braiding their hair, and and it's really it's really about um, proper worship and the instructions for gathering, so that distractions were not 
um, stopping others from worshiping well. And so that's that's how I make sense, make peace of that that particular passage. Um, and then I look at some of the other examples of women that are in ministry in the Bible, prophets, apostolic, uh, women who were, who were, um, there's evangelical efforts and, and Phoebe, the deacon, uh, Priscilla teaching Apollos, for example. So I just, again, going back to the lens, if I'm looking at scripture as a whole, if I'm looking at the context into which Paul was writing and knowing, um, that although scripture was written for us, it's not always prescriptive. Sometimes it's more descriptive. It's telling us about the, the time and the place. I, I can come to peace with some of those things. And then there's the personal experience side of this for me, where I spent a, a weekend reading two views on women in ministry. <laughs> and just like it's from the Counterpoint series, from page one to page 300 or whatever it was. Um, and I honestly, I walked away kind of disgusted because in that series, I don't, I don't truly mean this negatively. I think it's good to wrestle with these things and to, to know what you believe. But for me, when I, when I read the book and it's, it, um, the egalitarian lays out of you, the complementarian lays out of you, and then they counter each other. And it's essentially an argument on paper. And I just, I walked away like, feeling as if scripture had been manipulated to fit their arguments rather than allowing scripture to inform the argument. I don't know the individuals. I don't, again, I truly don't mean that negative, but that was my experience. I read the thing and I thought, these are very smart people and they are not, they're not able to agree because of the way that they're looking at, at scripture. So I have no issue submitting to the authority of scripture. I've learned that the hard way. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm at peace with this call that I believe God's placed on my life, um, and the spiritual and other gifts he's given me to live out the call. And I don't, I don't see scripture as prohibiting that. That's a long answer. No, no, it was good. Thanks. Uh, thanks for sharing. Um, yeah, that is one of the things you just said that was interesting, um, was the gifting peace when scripture talks about the gifts like they don't seem yeah they don't seem gender specific and uh, i would say just my experience with you that you're a gifted teacher and like i i i don't know i think they're uh i i have the conviction that like uh there needs to be a space for you to live out that, that gift and, and stuff. Um, now people who would interpret things differently would probably agree. And they, there's other spaces they would say, um, and, and I, I don't know, I don't know that it'd be beneficial to get into to all that, but, um, that's interesting. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. So based on this kind of debate, have you personally, experience um you know criticism of your role as a pastor or as a leader as a woman in general um maybe not directly but maybe from some someone you heard uh preach a sermon that you listened to online or um anything like that like how did how did you go about handling that wrestling with that um and how do you stay kind of uh rooted in your calling um the criticism or division disagreement that I've encountered has been mostly pretty subtle. Um, something like the individual, like telling the door greeter on the way out of church after I preached that I just don't know how I feel about a woman preacher, you know, and that, that got back to me, you know, it wasn't directed at me, but I, but I heard the story eventually. And, or the question, like being asked who's watching your children when I'm working at the church, I just doubt that too many male pastors have been asked that question. Um, and I'm not, I'm not offended. Like it's okay, but that's what I mean. Those are sort of the, the subtle more. Yeah. What I've encountered. And so how do I, a, I don't handle those, <laughs> those situations. I, those are just going to move on, but I have, I have had some, some conversations. In fact, I did a year of seminary at a place that 
did not necessarily um, support women in ministry, at least to the level that I that I believe and that I'm in a role that I'm currently in. I went to seminary with other women who disagree with my position. Um, and so I have faced opposition in that sense, but uh, not, I've never been in a knockdown drag out. Thankfully, I don't desire to be in those. So what I would, how I would approach and, and how I have is let's, let's have a conversation. If you have questions, let's look at scripture together. If you've already done that for yourself and you come away with a different conclusion than I have, that's okay. This is not, I think we're going to be there together. I, I think at the the end of this all, we this is not a sides sort of thing that is going to separate one from the other on what really matters. This is not a salvation issue. I I don't believe. Um, and so if you believe in Jesus as your savior and you're seeking to follow him wholeheartedly, we will share in eternity together, regardless of where you land on this issue. So that's that's sort of my approach. I don't I don't want to get in a fight over it. I don't want to debate over it. Um, I don't, I don't want to, I don't mean, I don't want to have a conversation. Uh, I just, it doesn't need to be as negative and as personal as I've heard, or I've uh, sort of read other women and, and their experiences being much more uh, dramatic than mine. I'm also at a church that clearly supports women in ministry. So I am just naturally not going to experience this in, in quite the same way as um, if you're in another context and we're, you know, feeling called and not sure where to go. So <clears throat> one of, one of the things I think is so important if we are followers of Jesus is, um, we, we can be right and wrong at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so let's say someone who disagrees with me on this issue is right some of the heart postures or ways people or this this is on any like this is on so many issues especially right now and i feel like the the climate we sometimes find ourselves in on on there are these such polarizing viewpoints um here's the thing if you're not a follower of jesus you can be as you shouldn't be but you can be as nasty and um you know, undercutting as you want to be in your arguments and slanderous, like you, go, go for it. If you are a Jesus follower, uh, you cannot be. And even if you're right, if your heart posture is just prideful, arrogant, um, if, if you like, if your goal is to tear someone down, uh, like those are things that are not compatible with the way of Jesus. And so you, you, your viewpoint, your doctrinal theological position may be right. But like, if, if you're going about it in, in an ugly way, like you're, you're wrong. At least that's how I feel about things. That goes for me too. Like I, yeah, I, I can be, I don't know. It usually takes reflection and I later realize it if it's happened, but there are times where I had a strong opinion about something, but I went about it in a way that was prideful or arrogant um, or just not kind. And that's not okay, you know? Um, but I'm thankful you haven't had too, yeah, too uh, critical or just too hurtful of an experience in, in your story. Um, so one of the things I would love just for you to speak into is if, uh, if there's a woman or a, a young woman who felt perhaps called to ministry, but they're conflicted, um, and they're really struggling with it, um, what advice would you give them? And, and I guess if, if you can even tailor that advice to where it's sort of neutral advice like it's not necessarily advice vying for one perspective or not it's it's just how would you guide them to navigate it to come to their own you know uh place of making peace with what they seem to be experiencing with some sort of calling gifting whatever in scripture like what what would you share to a young woman who's who is in your your position a few years ago or something? I think the first thing I would say is test that calling and 
on truly this applies to a man or a woman, but test that calling. What I mean by that is pray about it fast. Um, ask others to discern with you, watch and wait for doors to open. Um, you know, not reluctantly, but not, you know, don't go rushing in. This is a, it's a serious calling. It's, um, yeah, just make that part of the process, um, to test that calling and, um, don't do that, that piece of it alone. And then at the same time, I would, I would recommend wrestling with those passages for yourself under the guidance of the spirit. If it's, if it's a book, um, with the, the spectrum sort of laid out, like the one that I read, great. You may come up with a different, you know, again, it's a spectrum. So you're, you're, you'll land somewhere. Um, so spend some time wrestling with that for yourself. Um, because if you, if you do, uh, follow that calling and you encounter some kind of division or, or criticism, or you find yourself like I did, uh, at a seminary that you're, you don't realize doesn't support that <laughs> it's, it's going to rock you for a little bit. And so you need to be prepared for that, um, to, to answer that for yourself. Um, so test that calling, wrestle with those passages. And then, so that's sort of the, the general advice I would give. The other thing I would say, don't make it a battle. I actually, I read, um, that's advice. I, I read Tara Beth Leach is her name in the book, uh, emboldened. And she says, don't make it a battle. Take the posture of Jesus and love those who oppose you. Um, remember that the mission is at stake. So if, if you, that mission's real for all of us, no matter what your title is, but uh, if it's pastor or church leader and, and you are experiencing that calling to, uh, to what that, uh, to the ministry in that sense, um, then there's, there's a specific mission at stake. And so you, you, you want to be, you want to be prepared for that. Don't make it a battle. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's how I would start. That's the advice I would give. Yeah, that's good. So I feel like we kind of answered this question a little bit, um, but, um, we've had a conversation on this podcast before about like the dogma issues um, and doctrinal issues and how there are um, doctrinal issues that are kind of non-negotiable dogma issues that are kind of um, preference op opinion based. Um, when we run into those differences in the church, which we will uh, someone, you know, elevates an issue as doctrine when it's really not um, how, how can we like move forward um, as a body of Christ above all? Um, well, man, yeah, it's that the mission depends on it thing. Um, I, I don't know if you guys would agree with, with this as your approach, but I'm okay to agree to disagree on those things and, and let that be, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing. And again, I went to seminary. I, I enjoy having these conversations, probably not as much as Anthony does, but not many people do. Um, but just it, like, it, it's good to, to, to wrestle through those things and, and to, to talk with one another, but that heart posture thing that you, you were talking about, Anthony, like that's, that's so key because we, we are to be one in Christ as a church. That doesn't mean we agree on everything. Um, someday, you know, none of these things are going to matter and we will, <laughs> but for now to be united one in Christ is to keep the main thing, the main thing, and to not let these other disagreements, um, affect our, our relationship and our, our light and presence in the world on his behalf, um, as followers of Christ. So the more we get distracted by these doctrinal matters, the more energy, that's expended. And, and again, don't get me wrong, it's important, but the more energy expended in that direction, I think the less we have to go and make disciples, you know? Yeah. I think of it kind of as like a, if you're from an outsider perspective, like if you're not a Christian and you see that the church can't even agree with one another and they're bickering and, and fighting and divided over seemingly insignificant things uh, as a Christian, you know, how can, how can I, 
or as a non-Christian, like, why would I be attracted to that? Um, and I think it goes back to, uh, I think it's an Acts where the church had one mind. Um, that doesn't mean they agreed with one another. It meant they had the same mission, the same goal. Um, so it doesn't mean that they were all the same person with the same exact beliefs. It meant that they were all focused on the same thing. And I think that's an important perspective to have. Like, above all, we're going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to correct a lot of theology. Uh, and we're going to realize that, man, we we got it wrong. Um, and hopefully not too wrong, but definitely. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure we're wrong on some things. Uh, but yeah, that's the, the mission, the goal is not correct theology. Above all, you know, the mission is Jesus. Yeah. And that's where the the real key here is being humble with with where we are and and what we our interpretation. I have to. I'm not right on 100. percent I'm sure of it. Um, I also feel pretty good, feel pretty strong on this one. Um, but if I hold that in a prideful way, or if I to go back to that letting society sort of intertwine here, it's it's not healthy to say, you know, to, to look at a complementarian to throw out the label and say, how can you possibly, you know, keep women in this box because of the, you know, societal uh, move in, in that direction. If that person's truly spent the time and interpreted scripture differently, like you love Jesus, I love Jesus. It's, it's okay. Right. Um, that's man. If I took that last sentence, and threw it somewhere else on a different argument, I wouldn't agree with myself. So I have to be careful uh, on that. But I think that the heart posture is the, is the big thing is just keeping that humble approach, knowing I might be wrong. Here's what I'm reading. Here's the time I've spent. Here's, you know, the way I'm, I, I believe God has called. And at the end of the day, I, I want to keep the main thing, the main thing. Yeah. I think about Acts during this conversation and how there, there's that story where uh, Paul and yeah. Barnabas over yeah. John Mark, where, uh, they disagreed over something and they just went their separate ways. Paul, they just split. Paul said, I'm going to do my thing. You can do your thing. And it didn't seem like it really caused that big of an issue. They just went and went their separate ways and, and still ministered effectively. Whereas there was a salvation issue that actually came up, like do, uh, Christians need to follow Jewish law to be, you know, saved. And that's when the church actually came together and they had a, like a, a doctrinal discussion uh, under the guidance of the spirit. And they, they, they sat down and hashed it out. And I think that's a good example of some of the ways that we can handle differences. Like, like you said, you can agree to disagree, just go your separate ways, um, you know, bless them and send them on their way. <laughs> like they, you don't need to agree on everything, but then there are the doctrinal issues that those are the important ones that, you know, when we run up, when, when we run into those differences, um, that's when we need to sit down and hash it out. Yeah. That's well, good. Yeah. And I would say, I would make the case that I would need to read and study more, but I, I think a case could be made that some of the scriptures that talk about defending the faith and guarding you know, making sure sound doctrine, like a lot of the heresies that they were confronting had to do with like the divinity and humanity of, of Jesus, you know, um, the, the Gnostic, Gnostic heresies and things like, um, which my point is the, 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 I, I think the case can be made that the doctrine that Paul so strongly urged uh, believers to guard was um, not peripheral issues, but Jesus issues. Of, of the centrality of Jesus. Um, so maybe that should guide like how strongly we guard, uh, strongly is the wrong word, maybe aggressively. Um, yeah, defending certain doctrinal positions and stuff. Um, I wanna like, the pastor in me wants to do a little like wrap up a couple like what I feel might be uh, principles that can apply like to, to different perspectives. So I think one, I think um, there's value in both uh, male and female voices in the community of believers. There's neither male or female. Now, whether you disagree with the degree of leadership they can hold, um, that doesn't invalidate that women 
bring something to the community of believers uh, that God intended and is good. And so um, it is good. And, and there are ways without a woman necessarily being a pastor. There are, there are uh, women authors who disagree with Sam, but they're still writing books or they produce Bible studies. And a lot of times they're targeted towards women. But sometimes, like like I said, I'm trying to read some women authors this year and I've read a couple and um, I'm learning from from these, uh, what they bring to the table. So I guess men and women equally valuable and uh, they equally enhance the community of believers and bring something to the table. Um, another thing I think is important is heart posture. And when it comes to disagreement, that's I think a, a thing we talked about is is being being sure our approach to defending our positions um, and major keeping the main thing. The main thing is something Sam said a couple of times. Um, so so what that means for me, I like what you said too. I'm okay agreeing to disagree. What that means for me is I probably won't be a pastor in a church that has a couple significantly different doctrinal positions than I hold. I wouldn't pastor at that church because I wouldn't be able to teach or affirm um, what they teach but I will still get coffee with a pastor from that church or I would still perhaps link arms to do something in our community if there was an alignment of vision and mission and um, I would still like yeah be in relationship with them and even affirm people who attended their church or whatever so um we can agree to disagree and still keep the main thing, the main thing. Well, Sam, uh, do you, do you have, um, I can't remember actually, do you have a blog? You do have a blog, right? Do you? Uh... Oh man. Um, yeah, I did. And then I had children. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I get that. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a thing that I just kept feeling, feeling guilty about not getting done. And so I just, you know, removed myself from that pressure for, for this time. I would love to get back to it someday. It's just not the right phase of life right now. Yeah. Well, I get that. It's still I get up that. there. So you can share. It's, it's true. It's there. It's just a little outdated, but it's, it's good. there. I like it. Well, thanks. Um, real quick. I have one more question putting you on the spot. Uh -oh. Sam, what's something, what's something you love? Like, why do you do what you do? What's something you love about being a, a pastor? Something you love about ministry? Because um, we talked about the potential disagreements. We talked about potential criticisms. Um, but that's not the whole sum of, you know, the story. Yeah. Oh, man, a couple, I mean, several things come to mind. I, I'm really enjoying this this phase of ministry right now as I've gotten into the the role that I'm in and and seeing some positive change and I I enjoy preaching. I, I love the preparation process of that. And um when I first started it was like I wanted to run out of the room every time. I used to sit in the front row and think I wonder if they'll notice if I just don't go up there. Um, but now I, I truly enjoy it. And when I'm done, I'm like, let's do it again. You know, I, I, I really enjoy that part of, of my job. It's not something I do every Sunday, but it's, um, I do enjoy that piece of it, but, but really the, the bottom line and, and why I, why I love that I get to do this, um, is, this is going to sound a little cheesy, but it's, it's honest. Like I love to see the change that, happens the transformation in people because of Jesus because of um knowing him and experiencing life change because of who he is and what he's done for us and getting to be um a, a conduit of that and, and getting to to speak into people's lives and to tell my story in a, in a way that you know maybe impacts another and um that's that's it for me right now that's I'm just yeah that's why I do what I do. <laughs> yeah. Thanks I will say firsthand that you're a great preacher. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thanks, man. I remember when you practice the first time you came on staff and when you were practicing and you killed it. We were like, oh my gosh, like I have no notes for you. <laughs> oh, Wait, well. did, did she have to practice in front of all of us? I remember. Yeah, yeah, we could have discussed oh, that about this that. podcast. <laughs> I forgot about that. Me and a bunch of men, and I had to. <laughs> hey, obviously, I mean, you're my 
pastor and so obviously you know where i stand on this issue but um yeah definitely affirm that and you you're terrific i actually feel i'm feeling bad about that you had to do that uh i think i felt bad at the time though it wasn't i won't throw anyone else under the bus here i think think you apologized at the time for the it's record, a, it was I, not because I was a woman that I had to do that. So anyone listening, you were, not the reason. Yeah, make yeah. sure your doctrine was all tight before you. <laughs> I was a, I was a, a resident. resident. I was learning. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. You guys really called me out on my feeling guilty thing. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have a pathological issue I'm working through. <laughs> Next, still working on it. Next episode. Um, yeah, well. Everyone, thanks for listening um, to Theologizing Life with Matt Tracy and Sam Freds. Uh, If you found this helpful or you know someone who might be encouraged by this episode, I encourage you to uh, like and share. Uh, You can rate it on iTunes. All of those things help increase our listener base, um, and uh, we appreciate it. So thanks for listening. Until next time.